Peace be upon you, and welcome to this week's edition to Pathway to Peace, a show which takes an analytical look at the current issues and trends affecting us all, trying to find the answers to problems that affect our political peace, economic peace, social peace, and perhaps the noblest of them all, inner peace. In a world filled with constant hustle and bustle, it's easy to feel overwhelmed and anxious about the uncertainties that life presents. However, Islam provides a profound and holistic framework to navigate these challenges and attain a sense of inner calm. In today's show, we'll be focusing on attaining inner peace and analyzing what are the reasons for high anxiety levels in society and is it affecting one generation more than the others? I'm your host, Galeem Anwar, and in this episode entitled Faithful Foundations, A Journey to Calm Amidst Anxiety, we'll be looking at some of those questions and more delving into the practical strategies rooted in Islam that empower us to reclaim our sense of purpose, from establishing a balanced routine that allocates time for worship, work and rest, to engaging in acts of remembrance that rejuvenate our hearts and minds, each step that leads towards a pathway to peace. Join with me to attempt to dissect this topic and its many encompassing issues is fellow Pathway to Peace presenter, Nasser Sajad. So, Aslam Nasser. So uh, thanks again for another uh, collaboration on, on this episode. And yeah. I, I know obviously when we were sort of just brainstorming sort of, you know, ideas, you know, you know, in preparation for this, this topic, um, you know, we found that just literally about around about five years ago, to the, not, maybe not to the day, but give or take a month, five years ago, we both did a, a show around the theme of tackling anxiety. And I thought, you know, it's interesting in one respect, but also quite sad that things, uh, maybe it's subjective, but maybe things have got maybe worse um, as, as a society. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, it seems that, like you said, it's interesting that you mentioned that over the five years since we did the show, yeah. uh, statistics are showing that uh, anxiety is increasing. I think uh, looking at some statistics earlier, we were saying that in 2021, people aged between 16 to 29 are most likely to have some form of anxiety. Yeah. Um, and uh, in 2022, more, more women have reported experiencing high levels of anxiety than men, yeah. which is interesting as well. Yeah. So um, you know, and uh, the the previous one, the the younger people, it's like there seems to be like certain, and I, I'll call I'll call it vulnerable groups. You know, the younger yeah. people, you know, women, they're not vulnerable as such. Yeah. But um, you know, there are a specific group who are feeling anxiety, and um, you know, it, it's not getting any easier. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it is interesting how there does seem to be, um, you know, right, it, it, it's sort of a, a trend there that. The younger groups, and I don't know if it's a surprise, but but you're at that sort of sixteen to twenty nine mark uh, are are feeling it more, and it seems to decrease um, as as the sort of the, the ages go, you know, higher and higher. The, the 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 least most anxious group, you could say, I say, are the are the, are the seventy plus. Mm. Um, I think what was also interesting in, in sort of using looking at similar statistics. Uh, this is uh, on the the mentalhealth.org.uk website. Um, there was also an interesting infographic showing that but depression, interestingly, was sort of quite similar. Uh, the similar sort of rates uh, 
irrespective of the of the age demographic, um, which is quite sad actually. Um, that it, it, very it, sad, it, yeah. Yeah, you know, I thought you can understand sort of the logic then to sort of anxiety being higher in the younger sort of demographic because maybe it's, you know, it's they're not sure about what, what you know what their what their path is, the careers, uh, you know, finding you know marriage, yeah. homes, and things like that. So, so to tell some respects, understandable, but yeah, depression to being sort of equal against the groups, it's it's quite sad, I think. Um, I, I think what was interesting as well that. Uh, during as a result of the COVID pandemic, it was it, it was quite high. Uh, there was an increase uh, during COVID, um, but subsequently after COVID, anxiety levels uh, begun to decrease. And maybe that doesn't come as a surprise, I suppose, because obviously during the COVID pandemic, you know, it's and we'll come into this a bit more later in the show. It's that level of uncertainty, isn't it, that causes yeah. anxiety? I mean, COVID, COVID uh, that COVID period. Hmm was um, a really strange one. I mean, because um, one, obviously, there's the fear of the illness itself, the, yeah. you know, and, and, and where we're going with it. Yeah. There was then added to that, when will it end? And can it, will it end? You know, there's, there, you know, because that, I remember, you know, remember the, at the beginning of it, going towards the middle, there was, you know, the vaccine could take years to produce. We don't know what's going to happen and all that kind yeah. of stuff. So, yeah. Is that low? And then people's, previous anxieties it didn't in any way alleviate that so people may already be in a bad position before and you know there was this, this sad stories of people being stuck at home with you know abusive partners and that kind of thing yes. um and you know there was you know this made it worse for everyone really in that kind of group uh as and like i said there was there was no there seemed no end in sight that's it that's the thing. They, where, when would it end? And then yeah. no one knew exactly. I, I was going to say what was also interesting that levels of anxiety tend to be higher among females, mm. um, in particular female employees, and maybe this could be as a result of the fact that you know I think the the, the pressure on, on on women, the fact that they're maintaining sort of careers as well as juggling the home as well, mm. um, is possibly the burden, you know, the the, the, the pressure that is, that is placed upon women's society yeah. much higher than, I guess, what it was decades gone by. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, so some interesting sort of food for thought there. Mm. Um, but as we sort of move on to sort of this next segment, this is sort of, I came across a really interesting um, sort of podcast where they were sort of talking about rising levels of anxiety. And one of the commentators mentioned a really interesting point where they said that you know does it does it come as a surprise um as a result of the high levels of anxiety because and they use the phrase the social contract is broken and that sort of that sort of you know perked my attention so i did a bit of research around this and there there is a, a political theorist well-known theorist john locke um the period, his period was around 1632 to 1704. Uh, influential English philosopher uh, and physician, uh, and was wide, widely regarded as one of the most important figures in the development of modern political and liberal thought. And, would, and some would say, sort of, you know, his ideas sort of helped inspire um, in sort of enlightenment period and, and had an impact on <clears throat> establishing sort of, you know, democracies or democratic sort of principles, particularly within, you know, you could see these things kind of enshrined in the American constitution. And he sort of coined the term, the social contract. Um, 
And this sort of concept of a social contract is the idea that individuals within a society willingly give up some of their natural rights in exchange for protection uh, and the establishment of a, a stable and organized government. Um, he says, according to Locke, the government's authority is derived from the consent of the governed. And if it fails to protect people's rights, citizens have a right to alter or, or abolish it. And you could see the sort of traces of that thought, hence why we have elections. You yeah. know, if we don't, you know, if, we have to, if, the, if the, the electorate are not happy with the way government uh, are, are sort of running, you know, running its affairs, they can be voted out the next election. But, I, but this got me thinking, and I thought that's quite interesting then, that this notion of a social contract, which I guess it, it's pretty much in place, because that is right. We, we pay our taxes right. uh, in, in return for services. But do you think then that, I mean, it's too simplistic of an argument to say it like this, but do you think to some degree that the social contract has broken? And that, as a result of higher waiting lists on the NHS, there's a oh, lot yeah. of new... Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I mean, I'm just looking. If you think about, I mean, we were talking about it's been five years since we did this show. We spoke about if yeah. we just focus on, say, that past five years. Yeah, you could actually say that's that's a that that's a legit legitimate argument, really, because over this over that period, we've not had a stable government. Yeah, you know, and one of that part of the social contract is the establishment of a stable, organized government. And I think we've had anything but that, really. If you yeah. think about the internal turmoil between uh, going from one prime minister to the next, yeah. uh, one that lasted forty, you know, a few days. I think we mentioned this on a previous show. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it kind of and this has a when something as ruling as the government is not stable, yeah. then where does that feel us leaving? You know, and. You know, in that time as well, we've had things like people have voted for Brexit, you know, and it hasn't turned out to be what yeah. we wanted. Life has got worse. People will say they predicted this would happen or what this would happen. But the point is, people put their trust in the government, people put their trust in the democratic system yeah. uh, for something better on the back of some voting, something like that, and it hasn't happened. Yeah. Um, some may argue otherwise, but, you know, on the whole, uh, we could say it. There's there's been a failure to fulfil the rights of the people, even though they voted for something that the you know uh, that was supposed to bring stability, and they've they've not really had that. And you know then there's a that has a trickle down effect, doesn't it? I'm a strong believer in the fact that uh well, your leadership will influence everything below it. Um, so you know if they're not stable, then it affects us, you know, and it, so much that has happened over the past five years will have affected everyone at a personal level, as well as, you know, yeah. a professional kind of a societal level. And that's just interesting, isn't it? That it's almost like exactly as you said, it. it's, it's on a macro level, can, you know, <clears throat> government plays, uh, society plays a massive part on, on shaping sort of, you know the effects it can have on the individual basically that some of these things are definitely within the control of the individual which we're going to come on to in that part of the show but the fact that society at large you know government the role of you know, you know the authorities they can they really do have a part to play in sort of helping individuals you know with 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 the issues that they're facing um and and the fact the fact that it's 
you know, the problems that affect groups. It's not just it's certain individuals at random. It, it's there is a pattern there that there are certain groups that we discussed some demographics. It just take, for example, even just housing issues such as housing, such a, a basic human right of, right. of shelter. Um, the level of anxiety that it causes amongst the younger generation, or, or, or just or even just things like employment, mm -hmm. it's it's no wonder then. It's no wonder that you know anxiety sort of does increase amongst a certain demographic, because there are certain things that just are, are not are not in place. Um, we, for for a whole half the reasons, I know it's quite easy to just sort of to just blame the government. It's it's easy to do that, mm -hmm. but but you know it's it you know it's at the same time, you know, they're, they're elected for a reason. You know, they, they right. serve. Yeah, they, they take on. They, they should be taking on a that role to be yeah. able to relieve people of that anxiety or of that kind of fear of yeah. what's going to happen. You know, next, especially yeah. for the young people. And yeah, I think again, looking at that uh, that period, it's probably been longer. But yeah. looking at the past five years, things haven't yeah. got easier for people. Like you know, they're, they're not able to afford a house you know they're not yeah. able to you know rents are going up you know there's so much that's putting people who are not established so this is probably why the older people are not as affected maybe because they've managed to establish them at themselves at a time when things weren't quite so expensive yeah. i guess or things were yeah. a bit more stable and so they're a bit more established now whereas young people now coming out of university or been out of university for a few years in their first jobs um looking to save up to get a house or looking to have a career looking to have a life you know with a with a family yeah it, it, you know they're they're not able to plan that you know because a lot of people do like to plan ahead yeah and it's like there's there's uncertainty around whether they can do that and then that just leads to anxiety and you know and, and anxiety anxiety is um you know it, it controls them in a way and it, it can i guess it can hold you back yeah um so that sort of nicely sort of leads us on to sort of the next segment here, where you mentioned the fact that, yeah, this sort of the the grip that anxiety can take over over us as individuals. There uh, was an interesting book that I came across um, in sort of in, in preparation for the show, a book entitled "Unwinding Anxiety" by Judson Brewer. It was published in back in twenty twenty one, and it breaks down the brain science behind the bad habits that keep us stuck. Um, just by way of background, uh, Justin, uh, Dr. Judson Bureau, I should say, is a, is a renowned uh, addiction psychiatrist and neuroscientist and is a director of research and innovation at the Mindfulness Center at Brown University, uh, as well as being an associate professor at the University School of Public Health uh, Medical School. Um, so it's an interesting book because I, I, what I love about sort of books like this, sort of self-help books, is that it sort of tries to um, break these things down into sort of various principles. And, and so whenever I see that, um, I think it's brilliant because especially on the Pathway to Peace show, we sort of look at those principles and actually think, okay, that's interesting. So this is a, a theory that's come about in, in recent modern times. But what has Islam said about that? What is the Islamic sort of perspective on that? Um, you know, which further just cements the fact that it's addressed these principles well and truly over a thousand years ago. You know, it's because, you know, as, as, you know, as, as, as Muslims, you know, we believe the Holy Quran to be the, the literal word of God. The principles, the the remedies, the solutions that are mentioned in the Holy Quran is, after all, if our Creator knows us best, He also knows the sort of solutions to to our to our problems. Um, so we'll we'll take each principle turn by turn and, and sort of examine it in light of Islamic principles. 
And the first principle um, that is mentioned in this book is around uh, anxieties controlled by our survival brains. And I'll just read the sort of a, a sort of a paragraph to from 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 the book, um, where, where the author states that humans have two parts to their brains which evolved at different times, and uh, the author says, "quote unquote," the old part in, in, includes the uh, autonomous uh, the nervous system essentially, uh, which regulates our primitive survival responses. So a lot of this sort of fight or flight um, mm. sort of mechanism. Um, and it says around a million years ago, uh, another part of the brain developed, the prefrontal cortex. It is this part of our brains which is responsible for planning, reasoning, and predicting. So it allows us to find patterns and adapt our behavior according to past experience. So the author makes the point that anxiety occurs when the prefrontal cortex doesn't have enough information to predict exactly what will happen. Um, ergo, if I don't know what's going to happen, you know, next or, or you know if i'm not sure where my next paycheck will come from we, it would sort of breed a sort of a sense of anxiety and so that's why we found obviously during the covid pandemic was at the height of that because no one knew what, what, what was going to happen next um so i thought i find uh i, I find that quite interesting that there, there this seems to be sort of a physiological element there that as humans we sort of love to sort of sort of be in control Mm. Or, or rather, try to kind of guess the next steps. I guess is that sort of fair to say? Yeah, um, and, and 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 it's fair to do so, I guess, because yeah. it's a way of uh, controlling, um, you know, your not not your destiny, I suppose, yeah. as such, but your next moves as such. It gives you the, you know, it puts you in a, in a state of comfort. You know, you want to be in a comfort zone. Yeah, and when you're not in control of that, then you're out of your comfort zone. I guess. Yeah. And you're not able to, and this is where the anxiety comes from. And it was interesting that you mentioned from that book that uh, uh, anxiety, well, fear is an is a natural instinct. I think you were mentioning as well. Yes, yes. Uh, or at least there, this uh, prefrontal, you know, uh, the uh, cortex. I think as you yeah. said will yeah, develop yeah. later. And um, you know, it's that fear being a natural. You know, there was this, in, in using that book's example. Yeah, fear being a a natural um instinct of a, yeah. of a human um, it almost has an it almost has like an evolutionary purpose doesn't it yeah it has a purpose you know it helps you escape if you're in trouble or whatever yeah um whereas anxiety is almost created you know from by man i guess you know it's, yeah. it's it's been created because it's not a natural instinct it's a developing yeah. instinct yeah uh, which has come about through I don't know modernization, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and then where you know it, it's it's one that's almost doesn't it, it, we could do without it basically, yeah. and we would be better off without without it. But yeah, in as in as you know we've progressed, and I, you know I say progressed in terms of you know uh, going from industrial revolution to like where we are now, yeah. um, it, it, things have actually got worse for you individually yeah and maybe because there's a lot more choice i guess there's choice yeah there's choice and you know there's excess as well i guess yes yes which choice in itself is not a bad thing but you're right when it sort of becomes to almost to the nth degree yeah where you you're almost sort of you you get baffled even as to what you're going to wear the next you know, tomorrow you know it's yeah 
it's almost gone to yeah, sort no, of a, you know, I mean that, that's, that's 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 an interesting point as well, actually. When you say what you're gonna wear next, there's so much stress. And then actually it goes back to your earlier one about earlier point uh, or stat that you had around women being amongst those groups who feel more anxiety. There's so much pressure on women now to look a certain way, to be a certain way. Yeah. Um that I wouldn't now thinking about it, it doesn't surprise me that they're yeah you know, got that kind of high anxiety levels. Yeah. Uh, when they have when they have so much to contend with, you yeah. know, and it's it's just probably, you know, it's unfair on them, I guess, uh, that you expect so much of them and then expect them to do an act and be a certain way, which is, you know, the just unfair. <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you mean. I, I, I suppose when sort of when looking at this particular principle, then about this, I guess, fear of the unknown is sort of what contributes to sort of anxiety. Um, the sort of inspiration that I get then from from the Hari Grant, numerous verses, and sort of sort of you know, challenge takes this point on, and I, I guess for me what sort of stands out the most, um, the verse in the Quran, where where sort of God states in the first person, He says, "And I did not create the jinn and man except to worship Me," um, and and so when we sort of break that verse down, the, the sort of in, in this context, there's the notion of the jinn. Um, Arabic term, which, when you sort of analyze this, the context where it says jinn and, and jinn and man in Arabic, jinn and nas is sort of the, how it's been, the, the terms that are used there, and mm. they they sort of represent the sort of the 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 two sides of society. You could say the jinn, which can also mean sort of hidden, you know, very high society. So in some respects, you could say almost like the 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 elite, or like the bourgeoisie, you could say, mm. and 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 nas you know, the Arabic term there, meaning sort of the common man, working class. Mm -hmm. So it's quite interesting that the Quran, you know, talks about the various sort of, you know, you know sort of statues within society, various groups, social groups, um, but that really in the eyes of God, you know, they are all equal. You know, if one could be a successful, you know, billionaire, <clears throat> he's no different than sort of the, the common man in, in the eyes of God. And, yeah. and their, their their purpose is the same, really, is to is to worship me, um, which even even then when you which which we even break down even further, but this con this notion of worshiping me it, it goes it goes deeper than that, where to worship God is a form of worship. You could argue is even to sort of take on the sort of the flavor or the or or the how can I say the when I say take on the attributes of God, it's not it's not it's not obviously possible for man to take on the attributes of God, but to sort of exemplify some of those characteristics so if god is merciful then mankind should should extend that quality of being merciful to sort of you know his fellow beings neighbors you know, those he's responding he or she is responsible for so I, I just thought it was quite interesting that, that that verse really does strike to the core that look no matter what your circumstances are mm -hmm. there is a higher there's a higher purpose in life isn't it yeah and this actually feeds straight back into the point that we mentioned earlier around the social contract actually yeah yeah because when we were talking about you know giving up that your rights to a strong a, a stable government yeah um and when you don't get that it, it causes anxiety you're not going to get anything more stable than god yes there's nothing more solid no nothing more consistent and um eternal than worshiping than God and worshiping God, yeah. So, in that sense, your anxiety will immediately 
or should, you know, immediately be relieved because knowing that, you know, God is there and being able to, and then and if you follow the rule of being there just to worship him yeah, and not relying on, on, on say, government or uh, a, a man-made, um, uh, anything man-made, yeah. uh, then, you know, it should relieve your anxiety. You, yeah. you don't, you can give yourself up to God in a way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that there's a higher, there's a high being, a supreme being yeah. that, is, that is ultimately your sort of yeah. salvation, your, 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 your help, your helper. Yeah. And instead of giving up your rights, you could, yeah. you're in the way the social contract does, you're, yeah. you're giving up yourself That's, to the yeah, worship of really God. And in that sense, you're, you know, you just give yourself over to God. Yeah. And then he'll take care of your needs. Yeah. yeah. Which are different to the needs of, you know, uh, that you may think you need in terms of, um in, in society you know what money or you know yeah. possessions or whatever yeah. Uh, yeah absolutely i'll move on to the second principle the author states and this is around anxiety and worry are actually addictive behaviors so i, I quote a passage from there where it says like with all addictions worrying provides a temporary escape from difficult feelings so it says imagine if you start to feel anxious um, it's an uncomfortable feeling, so you immediately, immediately start worrying about it. Um, it says worrying is, he makes the point that worrying is seductive because it seems like you're working towards a solution, ironically. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the time, however, you're actually just, you know, spinning wheels, basically. As if, you know, yeah. you he says all worrying does is, is to distract you from the negative emotion you felt in the first place. So rather, the, the, this feeling of anxiety, that distraction temporarily numbs the difficult feelings and therefore feels more rewarding, you could say, or quote-unquote, that it, the, your brain feels more rewarded uh, than the original, more painful emotion that, that you started off with. So I think this comes back to this point, then, that anxiety does seem to be this sort of this phenomenon that it, it sort of numbs the brain from... If you were sort of in a fearful state... Mm it's quite a subtle point that anxiety is it's sort of a different state than that. Um, and it really it sort of almost puts you in a state of limbo. Um, and which is, um, which is quite, it's in some ways quite a destructive quality then. I mean, it's a, nat- it can, it's, it's, well, it doesn't solve any problems, does it? It doesn't yeah. solve the situation. Yeah. It just exactly. kind of, like you said, it puts you in a state of limbo. It's just, yeah. you're frozen in a, in a point of time. Yeah. The, now, the, the verses that I sort of come across within the Holy Quran to sort of attempt to address this is, I suppose, there's such a such high emphasis on, on, on patience and steadfastness. Uh, there's a verse in the Quran that says, Oh, you who believe, be steadfast and strive to excel in steadfastness uh, and be on your guard and fear God that you may prosper. Um, so it's some interesting points there that... Um, you know, the, the level patience and steadfastness are, are, are such, you know, you know, very noteworthy sort of principles. Yeah. And it, and and the fact that the latter half of the verse states, um, and, and be on your guard and and fear God that you may prosper. And I always find that that notion of of fearing God is almost an interesting one because, rather, this sort of notion of fear is, it's it's fear of. of Fear of the the how can I say the the displeasure, uh, fear of the fact that you're as if you were to lose the love of God essentially right. you know and right. 
So it seems it seems interesting that, and it comes. It's almost an extension of the point you made earlier. Then that if one gives themselves over to God, then then rest assured that 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 God is you know is there for you. Um, so, but is but but for that to happen, you know, it's easy easy said than done, rather. And 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 this is the notion: the fact that you know, as humans, we may feel, we we may struggle. We you know we cannot sort of understand what we can't see. Yeah. And this is why sort of patience and steadfastness are such, you know, are such noble traits, noble qualities, um, which in some ways this is, it, I guess this world is almost like a, like a training course rather in, in trying to, you know, for all of us to sort of really excel in these qualities. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, in a way that um, to have those qualities is, is is difficult to have when if you haven't got that kind of belief in God and to be patient. I think that's one of the key aspects of you know if you look at the the statements that of the verses that you were reading, yeah. is to be steadfast, to be patient. Anxiety doesn't it takes away that patience. Mm. You know you're 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 you're, you're, you're impatient for something to be sorted out, but at the same time you're not moving forward. Yeah. But then to be patient, to like pull yourself back, and you know, once you've, you know, if you remain steadfast, and you know, it's it's not it's not an automatic thing. You require it requires prayer, it requires um, belief, you know, it requires you know, you know, finding out about God, thinking about God, you know, um, you know, sort of regularly praying to Him, even in just your head, uh, or you know, asking questions that you need to, but knowing that God is there. But it requires that kind of patience uh to be able to deal to deal with it and anxiety on its own uh without any kind of belief leaves you leaves you nowhere really and i think it takes away your patience because you're like i said you're waiting for something to happen that's yeah with no with no with no way of dealing with it you know yeah. whereas when you're praying or when you're having a belief in god you're, you are dealing with it and people may argue otherwise but you know it will lead to a, a stronger path because you know then you actually have god helping you whereas without that yeah. anxiety you're, you're pretty much on your own like you said you mentioned being in a state of limbo it's where you are and yeah. you're not doing about anything or i feel that you feel you feel you're not in control yeah yeah exactly and moving on to the third principle then in the book it says uh, understanding the psychology of your destructive habits is a key to breaking them so the author mentions that the first step in understanding your own anxieties is simply mapping your own habit loops. What kinds of situations trigger anxiety or other difficult feelings? And with which behaviours has your brain learned to respond as a way to soothe or distract you? So I thought this was quite interesting about, I think just it is a sign of the times that we have, um, yeah, just various we have our habits um it, it, it to some degree i suppose is that there's as a result of sort of you know mass advertising we so we are sort of shaped to some degree as to what what habits we take up yeah um and i just thought you know within islam that the key really is about balance um is to sort of avoid sort of falling into those traps um of destructive habits um yeah. addiction being a major major problem particularly particularly um, within sort of um i say i say sort of booming economies economies what i mean by that is more sort of capitalist you know industrial societies 
Um, but you know, the, the, a verse that comes to mind is around. Uh, there's just there's a, a, a quote, sort of the, directly from the verse, where it says, "Oh, children of Adam, uh, look to your adornment at every time and and place of worship, and eat and drink, but exceed not the bounds. Surely mm. He does not love those who exceed the bounds." There's a lot to be said within Islam about balance, um, keeping the balance. Isn't that right? Yeah. Oh no, definitely. I mean, that's that's such an important one, really, because. You know, you know, it's probably a well-known thing in society, even outside of Islam, that too much of anything can be a bad thing. Yeah. Um, but you know, within Islam, that keeping that balance, being moderate, mm -hmm. is so important. It's whereas we seem to be inundated at sort of at, in, in in things that are non-Islamic in 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 the lives of excess. Yeah. So you know, you look at everything from celebrity status to. Uh, uh, you know, like you, you mentioned advertising and, you know, the TV, social media, it all seems to be about excess, about having more, wanting more, needing more. And those who don't have enough or feel they don't have enough or want more, and those who do have enough never actually have enough and want more on top of that. You know, you look at sort of millionaires and billionaires. Yeah. And, you know, we, we they seem to be, they, they seem to be a lot more yeah. uh, in our lives now through yeah. maybe social media, maybe through TV, I don't know. But yeah. but they they you know, those people, you you think of like the Elon Musk Musk type people who are always constantly not just there for their innovations that they brought about, but because of the fact that they're rich. You know, it's never you never failed to mention that footballers, you know, yeah. constantly reminded about how much they earn and constantly reminded about, you know, you have you know, when you have like um the transfer, you know, we're told this many billions has been spent, he's gone for this many you know, it's just excess, excess, excess. Yeah. I mean, this does nothing to relieve the everyday person. I knew, I've actually, I spoke to a person a while back who says he doesn't even watch football anymore because he couldn't relate to people. And he said, uh -huh. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, you know, very strange because I remember he used to be saying to football when we were younger. He goes, no, I don't even watch it anymore. He goes, I just can't relate to them anymore. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that's, that's that was quite a powerful statement for me. Um, because, you know, um, you know, again, it's like that the, the amount of excess that... Yeah, and it wasn't just footballers. I mean, you know, that's just one part of it. Yeah. Uh, but just generally, uh, we're reminded about, you yeah. know, how much people have, and you know, in a, in a, in outside of our own lives, that, you know, we feel like our lives are not fulfilled if we don't have that. Yeah, which I think to some degree maybe, it's it's sort of related to what we talked about earlier about the social contract, um, right? But, but I guess really what we're saying here is that it's becoming such polar apart the the sort of the rich and the poor quote unquote yeah. um there's a massive massive divide now isn't there as compared to a few decades ago it's just it's becoming a super super rich um yeah and, yeah no definitely yeah and, that, that, and that, that's that's that, that it's actually quite worrying that when um we're talking about in a time of again let's stick to these last five years you know we've got the cost of living crisis now it's become a term um you know people you know poverty uh, uh food banks you know things like these have become part of the common you know um language but at the same time we're told, we're reminded about the excess that people have in in in, in everyday life as well and yeah. it's just not just doesn't fit just doesn't come together exactly moving on to the, the fourth principle 
um, the author talks about mindfulness. So he says mindfulness is a key tool in untangling anxious habit loops. Mm. So quoting from, from the book, it says the scientific name for the part of the brain that kicks into gear when we're on autopilot is known yeah. as the default mode network, uh, default mode network, DMN. It says, and he says, uh, how can we interrupt this destructive cycle? And one of the best ways is to spend less time on autopilot. So the practice of becoming conscious of our thoughts is known as mindfulness. And it's an interesting point. I mean, it's contrary to popular belief. Mindfulness isn't about emptying our minds and becoming Zen masters. It's simply about learning to become aware of what's in our minds. But I think when I when I sort of went through this point, I thought yeah. that, I mean, my, when you think mindfulness, and I think instinctively within Islam, you can't get more mindfulness than the fact that we have a system of of, of of five daily prayers at the at the bare minimum. Yeah, and and then actually, and then it's funny actually because I've never really looked deep into this term mindfulness. I know it's, it became a bit of a trend, mm. uh, like mindfulness type meditation type mm. thing. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, I've never fully looked into it, but I almost laughed at it to be honest when mm. when I read into it and I when I, when I read something like this, mm. um, specifically, you know. You know when you're saying uh, uh, going in thinking about your own mind and stuff. You know this is something we've, like you said, if we already have within Islam through prayer. Yeah. Only I think prayer goes further yeah. because if you in this quote it says you know look into your own mind. We're looking outwardly towards God. Mm. You know we're looking yes. at around, look at your surroundings, and one of the things is that nowadays we're constantly blocked from being allowed to think for ourselves yeah we're constantly being shaped by what's happening around us our thoughts are you know our habits our uh, you know our, our desires are being shaped by outside forces you know be it advertising be it you know celebrity status whatever it is yeah. and i've always felt strongly that left to their own devices a person can be um quite you know, it could come to a point of peace, yeah. you know, just if there wasn't so much background noise and there was a lot of background noise every time. Yeah. Uh, and by background noise, I mean, you know, uh, people and, and pictures and uh, advertising and the things we're told that we need or we should have, you know, because advertising is very powerful nowadays. You know, it's very powerful uh, in that, you know, we're told your life is not right unless you have this, that or the other, you know, it's a common trait or a common term, sorry, uh, in advertising that you're not selling a product, you're selling a lifestyle. I think that's one of the things they've said for years that, you know, and, and, and it's strange because why would you want to sell a lifestyle? You know, you know, what's wrong with your own life? So, you know, if we could just get away from that kind of thought and just, you know, if you were able to sit down and just pray, you know, and the best way for me to pray is the Islamic way of praying. Uh, then yeah, and this is where that mindfulness. Yeah, I, I wasn't quite too sure about it because you know, if you just to sit down and think mindlessly, I'm not sure what you're going to achieve. It says it has it says saying inward, think about your own thoughts. That's fine, yeah. but you need to have that external being yeah. to focus your thoughts towards. Yeah. that happens through prayer, and to be able to at least ask questions about your surroundings, 
Where did that happen? How does that happen? Why does that happen? Yeah. And, and, what, and why are we here, I guess? And why are we here? Yeah, you know, all those kind of questions. Whereas if you were kind of just sat there, and I don't know, maybe I've got mindfulness all wrong. I don't know. Like I said, I haven't looked into it enough. But if you're just sitting there thinking about your, your own brain, yeah. then you're limited. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. You're limited to your own thoughts. You're limited to yourself. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, I, and then again, this goes back to what, I've, what I feel, nothing I've can see but so much on advertising and tv is about you are in control of your whatever you are you you know be your best person whatever all that kind of stuff um it kind of doesn't it doesn't do, do anything for me it, because you know for me it's about I, I want to see something outside of myself and that for me is god yeah yeah absolutely i think it's also interesting how the fact that the sort of the system of praise um which you know, for, for non-Muslims that may be listening, it's not, I think sort of the the typical sort of viewpoint is it, it may be seen as sort of very regimented or, or, or you know, very rigid, but... I mean, there's a routine there, of course. There's a routine, exactly. But it's not... Yeah. The it's not fact that, exactly. I was just going to say, the fact that within each individual prayer, you know, one is free to sort of profess in their, in their own natural tongue, their own mother tongue, you know, they're utmost sort of you know their their their, their thoughts you know their, their ability to just pour you know pour pour one's heart out basically yeah um, exactly it is a sort of a release it is, it is a release and the thing with the routine around it is if there wasn't you probably wouldn't do it mm. you know if there wasn't this idea and, and people think it's forced on you to or on us as, as muslims to pray five times a day and the way it is because we're told there is certain prayers that we have to do okay and, and you know there's five daily prayers make sure you know we get to a certain age we're going to do them and we have to do them we should do them mm. however if that wasn't there yeah. and we were just told because you know and I'll, I'll go into it in a second if that wasn't there would we really pray would we really you know suddenly give that time because you know that five daily prayers is one aspect of prayers in islam you know yeah. we should be constantly uh thinking about god we should be constantly reminding ourselves about god and these are the things we should be doing it but yeah. Yeah. if we didn't have a routine within which to do that yeah. you probably would never do it left you know it, it, would, it would be difficult to like get yourself into a routine of you know praying regularly so being given that routine yeah. if you're not doing it outside of those times and you're doing it at least at those five times yeah because you have to then you know it's it's beneficial right uh well and i think that the the, the this blessing once again it comes back down to this point that a curator who no, you know, no, knows as much as anyone else with the fact that he is our curator has sort of instituted these sort of, you know, five, you know, sort of allotted times. Mm. And and I feel as if it's such a universal sort of principle, the fact that irrespective of the seasons that you are, the countries that you live in, so this five allotted times, it, it sort of spans the sort of the length of the, you know, the, the, the within the whole within the within a 24-hour day within a period you know there's every moment which once like i said there's obviously the morning prayer is you yeah know, i guess you could say when, when the world is absolutely you know just quiet there's no hustle and bustle so you're remembering god in such times but you know vice you know conversely during you know sort of a busy period right during the day um you know in the afternoon um where we where we suit where we do sort of get sort of bogged down with the hustle and bustle of life and 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 i guess that's where there is room that is where the stress can come in 
yeah. many a time at work. And in fact, as a result, you know, people do go out and probably do unproductive things to sort of get away from work. Be it, be it sort of like smoking breaks, for example. Right. But oh, yeah. if you sort of if you capitalize on the fact that you're taking time out for for those sort of mindfulness moments, you know, re, you know, remembering that well, there's someone that's put you here for a purpose. I think it does it, it does wonders actually. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's there's that side of it, and there's also the fact that, like you said, um, if you're at work or you're working, you know, even if you're working from home or whatever, yeah. um, if you have to pray, it takes you away from what you're doing, gives you a bit of a break, moves you away from your laptop or computer, whatever you're using, and takes you into a different state, yeah, uh, where you can just you know, move away from it. You know, it's completely different to what you were doing. You may be working, whatever it is you're working on. Yeah. Once you get to prayer, you're, you're in a completely different state. You're, and, you know, it, it, in that way, it breaks up and relieves any kind of stress you might have. Yeah. If At least for, you know, that, that while, you know, and then, you know, then you come back to the work that you need to do. And, you know, we all know that if you're working on a laptop, something you should move away from it. And, you know, it gives you that opportunity as well. Maybe even grab a glass of water afterwards beforehand. And exactly. There's the well, ablution part of it as well. Well, exactly. I was just going to say that yeah. that is the prerequisite to the prayer, isn't it? Right. So you know, having then being able to, you know, go run your run, you know, just simple thing. It's very simple. Yeah. Run water over your hands, over your face, over your head. Yeah. You, that in itself is refreshing, right? Yeah. So it helps in in, in many ways. But there must and, be a, phys you know, must like be a physiological element to it. Right. It? Yeah. Um, moving on to the sort of the next principle. This is around that we can't, the author states, we can't change our habits without changing how we think about rewards. And so the author sort of talks about, you know, when we live our lives on autopilot, our brains get stuck on these outdated notions of how rewarding particular behaviours are. And I think what, 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 what they're getting at is, so if you're getting stuck, uh, you know, if, if you're feeling anxious and then you, as, as, as the brain goes into autopilot and the habits, the bad habits that one may have picked up, smoking, or drinking to sort of try and relieve, try to, well, I guess in, in, in their minds to try and sort of help relieve that sort of stress or, or anxiety. Yeah. It's about sort of rewiring the brain then to sort of think about, hold on, is this, is this actually rewarding this behavior? And I, and I think within Islam, um, you know, there's a, there's a verse uh, that states, um, oh, you believe spend of the good things that you have earned and of what we produce for you uh, from the earth. And seek not what is bad to spend out of it, uh, when you would not take it uh, on yourselves, except that you connive at it. And know that Allah is self-sufficient, praiseworthy. So I think you know many a time when we, when we you know, what we what we do from our livelihood um, is you know you know use use that sort of wisely, use that sort of purposefully, uh, rather than sort of spending on on unnecessary bad habits, which ultimately are quite destructive to our bodies right there's a there's a sort of a very subtle principle that when sort of sharing or giving you know sharing your wealth or giving your wealth to others that produces a sort of another natural high you could say that you know that sort of what is deemed to be sort of a sense of altruism once again i think it comes down to to our very purpose our very being god has sort of implanted within within our nature that to help others Know, produces that that sort of that, that that positive positivity you could say within us that burst of sort of energy within us. 
definitely. You know, the, the, there's, no, there's nothing, I suppose, in a way, once you feel you've done that, you know, there's nothing more rewarding than saying that you've given something away. You know, you've given something to someone else or, you know, you've given away maybe to charity or whatever, mm. uh, but you've done something other than do something for yourself, which ultimately hasn't fulfilled a need. Yeah. Whereas when you yeah. give something to someone else and you may not believe it now by me saying it, but if you go out there and then do an act of charity, you will feel better for it. You know, you'll feel you've done something worthy. Yeah. Whereas that's where it comes from, you know, whereas, you know, to like spend it just for the sake of acquiring goods yeah. or clothes or whatever. Yeah. Um, is leads to that kind of dissatisfaction that you haven't got enough because no matter how much you get in that yeah. way, it's never going to be enough. You're always going to want more. And, you know, you always feel you need more no matter how much you have. Whereas when you give away, yeah, then, you know, there's an instant feeling of reward that you've done well. And you may want to do it more. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's, there's that gratification that comes out of it, which you will that's not it. get from spending on yourself. That's, that's it. Um, and I, I, just, I can't help but think that that is something that's really, very much entrenched within us. Um, right. I think it's unfortunate that maybe as a result of sort of external, you know, like I said, you know, mass sort of media, uh, that sort of feeling is sort of very much suppressed. Um, you know, we, we you know, we, it's almost as it well. I suppose that's the rise of populism, isn't it? That a lot of a lot of the sort of the thinking, um, unfortunately, within sort of government sort of policies is about, you know, think about number one or it's, you know. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the, the, and, and I don't feel that anything could make you more anxious mm. if you're constantly thinking about yourself mm. and what you need and what I, you know, mm. and, and you haven't got it because this is where we'll come to the that endless cycle of, wanting more because you know if, if you're constantly thinking about yourself then you're constantly thinking about what else do i need yeah then it's only going to make you more and more anxious to try and get more yeah. whereas when you're giving away you know there's you're not thinking about yourself yeah and it, again maybe that's where the the reward comes from yeah uh, we'll move on to the next principle this is around um curiosity i mean curiosity is seen as a as your anxiety busting superpower so this was an interesting one from, from the book. It states, uh, interest-based curiosity is the love of learning new things um, without any particular goal in mind. Um, it's an expansive way of seeing the world that keeps you attentive to the details of what's happening. And it also helps you to remember new information. It says cultivating your natural curiosity is an essential tool for breaking anxious habit loops. And, and this, I thought, was a very interesting one because within Islam, the principle of of acquiring knowledge you know seeking knowledge um various sort of you know, various sayings um of the the prophet muhammad peace and blessings of god be upon him where he says you know seek knowledge um even if even if you have to go as far as china mm. um so that should that there's a very interesting saying there because i think what's you know if you think about what's being said there is that there's you know, even acquiring worldly knowledge, it can be very beneficial. Uh, the fact that he has, you know, talked about you know, you know traveling you know, to far and wide, um, but I, I just feel as if uh, this is entrenched within within the sort of 
the upbringing of of all Muslims that you know the, the seeking knowledge is I suppose what it does it sort of it sort of trains the mind to how can I say almost become you know study the sciences you know study study all in order to increase one's knowledge of God's creation which I which I think is 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 is, is a beautiful principle because if if you take for example the Quran being the word of God then if you look at sort of life around you you know life and matter the world the the, the universe yeah. you know that is that is in effect the work of God and and it's no wonder that in sort of the the heyday of sort of the Islamic you know sciences you know where such a a, a mass uh, sort of exponential sort of growth in sort of various various from various sort of sciences um, all all spurred on by the fact that it was a Quranic teaching, you know. In fact, there's a prayer that you know, oh God, you know, increase me in knowledge. Um, and so I find that very interesting. That at, at this particular principle is very much at the heart of of what Islam stands for. That it, there is no excuse for for ignorance uh, within Islam. Yeah, that's I mean, that's that's that that really um, yeah that one strikes a real chord with me. I love the idea of. Uh, curiosity and you know asking the questions and seeking knowledge you know being told to seek knowledge and because knowledge is power as they say you know mm. so you know this it, it leads straight into that and at the end of the day uh, you know it's just you know my kids always do they'll ask a question and i'll always say to them that's a great question yeah. <laughs> because i just want them to ask questions so i just want everything to be around them to ask you know be curious find yeah. out about the world around you ask the questions ask the questions you know we're, we're encouraged to you know, not just study the sciences, but even study in, in, in if you read the Quran and if you're a Muslim yourself, then ask questions about the Quran. Ask, you know, question it. Question yeah. it, you know, the, the the belief, question your own belief. You know, make sure you've got a strong belief through questioning it, you know, and getting to that kind of rational point uh, where, you're, where you're happy with what you believe, but always ask those questions. And, and I think you're right. That's a, that's a really nice one, actually. And I like this really good way of putting it. Curiosity is your anxiety-busting superpower. I like I like that one very much. So yeah, yeah I think if, if you are anxious, then you know, start asking questions. Start asking asking a big question if you need to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, only for time reasons, I'm afraid we have to bring this episode to a close. Uh, thank you to my co-presenter Narcissa Jard. But before we close, here's a quote from the founder of the Amdi Muslim community, Hazrat Mizakulam Ahmed the awaited Messiah and Mahdi, who was prophesied to come in the latter days. When he said the following words of wisdom about using the Holy Quran as our touchstone to see how we are doing, he says, and he who fears God, he will make for him a way out and will provide for him from where he expects not. This is a verse from the Quran. And he comments, God the exalted delivers a person who fears him from any affliction that be befalls him and grants him provision from where he expects not. In other words, one sign of a righteous person is that God the exalted does not enslave him to the recourse of immoral ways and means. For example, a shopkeeper believes that his business cannot operate without the support of falsehood. For this reason, he does not refrain from deception and expresses the need for speaking lies. However, this so-called need is completely unjustified. God Almighty becomes the protector of a righteous person and saves him from such instances as would compel him to speak untruths. Remember, when a person abandons God the Exalted, God forsakes such a person as well. Moreover, 
when the merciful God leaves a person, Satan definitely develops a relationship with such a one. Think not that God Almighty is weak. Indeed, he is the possessor of immense power. When you put your trust in him for support in any matter, he shall come to your aid. Well, that's it for this week's edition of Pathway to Peace. We're back same time next week. Peace be upon you.